It's time now for Plan B with Rebecca Davis. Rebecca, it's been a while, my darling. Good afternoon. How are you, Africa? I'm very well, thank you very much, especially now that all my friends can go and buy alcohol as of Monday for that for the window periods allowed. I have been under quite a lot of distress from people trying to buy alcohol from me. I know that you're not a drinker yourself, are you? I'm not at all. So I've got uh, lovely bottles of wine and everything else. I probably shouldn't be saying this live on radio, should I? You're going to be hijacked on your way home. I certainly will. The other big talking point, of course, has been that of um, cigarettes. Uh, Government continuing the ban on the sale of cigarettes. And uh, Ngosazana Zamini Zuma, in her capacity as Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, um, filing responding papers to the matter before courts. So I was really interested in these responding papers, Africa, as were many of us, because we all know that the World Health Organization has said that smoking increases the risk of a severe disease caused for COVID-19. But we also know from our, well, anecdotal experience, hearing from friends, that many, many people have still had access to cigarettes during lockdown. So if the ostensible purpose is health, Related, It would seem that it's not working that well. So I found the government papers interesting, first of all, because they are insistent on claiming that people are not smoking when everything tells us to the contrary, including our own eyes. But this is a bit that I really found interesting. It was the bit that says that because of the lockdown and because of the ban on cigarette sales, it is expected that a sizable number of South Africans will stop smoking and quit after the lockdown. And for me, Africa was like kind of a light bulb moment because amidst all this, you know, squabbling about cigarettes and talk about the, the ban, all I've been hearing are these completely unverified suggestions that Nkosazana Tamini Zuma is insistent on the ban because she's taking kickbacks from cigarette smugglers. And while I have absolutely no problem believing that many, perhaps most, politicians are corrupt, Africa, I do not believe that Nkosazana Daminizuma is taking kickbacks from cigarette smugglers for a number of reasons. One of them being that I've seen where she lives in KwaZulu-Natal. She's extremely humble, look, humble living as a politician. For me, it doesn't add up. But this, this makes a lot more sense to me because we know that Nkosazana Daminizuma is particularly proud of her legacy when she was health minister with regards to banning tobacco advertising, controlling smoking in confined spaces and so forth. And that she got a lot of international kudos for it, that she was lavished with praise for these particular policies. So it is much more plausible to me that this is the real key to Nkosazana Tlaminizuma's intentions, that she's in love with the grandiosity of the thought of being the first minister in the world to completely eradicate smoking as a result of policies. And that she genuinely believes that this might be possible through the lockdown ban, which obviously it isn't. But that to me is a more satisfactory explanation than a lot of guff I've been reading without substantiation about her being corrupt. With that in mind then, my only criticism, Rebecca, would be why is she using a national state of disaster to put in place, I suppose, a very, very, what's the word, uh, forced um, realization of a vision to free South Africa of any smokers, because this would not be the time to do that, surely. But also as COCTA minister, when else could she do it? She's not health minister, right? It's only in the specific environment that she has these powers. And I can only assume she is simply taking that ball and running with it. 
to an absurd degree. What I would like to know, Africa, is I'd be sincerely interested if a group were to take the government to court to reinstate the alcohol ban, which will obviously never happen. Because if that were the case, the government presumably would be forced to give almost the opposite reasons that they've supplied for lifting the tobacco ban. They would have to completely underplay the health reasons posed, the health risks posed by alcohol and the reduced strain on hospitals, etc. And it seems to me that that would get them into a kind of twist that I'm not sure how they'd get out of. Interesting. Uh, should South African doctors treating COVID-19 get legal immunity from treatment lawsuits? What is your take on this, Africa? Because it's something that's doing the rounds at the moment. The Private Practitioners Forum has asked for blanket immunity for doctors who are treating COVID-19 patients. And one of the reasons is that it's very likely, given the, the, the demand for doctors, that there will be people drafted in to treat COVID-19 who do not have specializations in lung disease, in infectious diseases. And for that reason, it's argued they shouldn't have to worry on top of everything else of, of facing a malpractice or ne- med- medical negligence suit. Your views on that? I... I, I mm. What are they going to be doing differently under this COVID-19 pandemic? Um, are they going to, I mean, if you go to Khrutsky or Tigerberg Hospital at any given weekend outside of the pandemic, uh, doctors are under extreme levels of pressure. They, uh, you know, th- those stress factors are always going to be there and we still expect them to make the right calls in split second decisions. I would want exactly the same even under COVID-19 um, pandemic um, sort of uh, dynamics. They should not, I don't know, the minute you give someone a blanket immunity, uh, they almost can get away with making the wrong calls at the wrong time. And I don't want to be on that sickbed while that doctor is doing so. So let me give you an extreme example, because this has been the case all over the world, and I don't think it's come to that here yet, but it might. I have a friend in London who is a dermatologist, and she has been drafted into work ICU. COVID-19 patients at one of the busiest hospitals in London because they have so few staff at this stage. So that's a dermatologist. Now, she was given a week's kind of ICU refresher course. Obviously, you do study this as a medical student, but maybe you haven't done it for years, you know, where they gave refreshers on how to intubate someone, how to ventilate someone. But then you're sent off into the wards. And I think that is absolutely terrifying for people who may have specialized in very different things. And now, you know, to some degree out of the goodness of their heart, if they're in the private sector, are volunteering to go back onto the front line. But so I personally understand where doctors are coming from here. But it has also been suggested that we have to be careful that it doesn't amount to a kind of carte blanche check in vulnerable situations like old age homes. We know all too well in South Africa from life city many what can happen, particularly in kind of care institutions where there isn't scrutiny. So we must be careful that in situations like that, it isn't the case that patients could suffer from genuine negligence and that people not be held to account. I would love to hear from health practitioners. Give me a call on 021-446-0567. It's a very, very important uh, conversation and we'll be following up on it, of course. Let's finish off with the psychological effects of lockdown. They're being studied at the moment. Yeah, because it's a really interesting social situation. I mean, you don't normally find people sort of confined indoors this level of time, pretty much ever, other than perhaps in wartime or very specific contexts. And it's been very interesting what has been come up with. So something I found intriguing was that there's already a suggestion that children who have ADHD may be coping much better with homeschool because partly what uh, is 
you know, distracting to them at school is the demands of certain behavioral things like sit quietly, don't talk, don't run around. And the idea is that because they are kind of free from those constraints at home, they may actually be able to be learning far better. I'd love to hear from your listeners, particularly those who may have very lively kids, whether they think this is in fact the case. And another one I found interesting, there are people obviously in the world who suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder, Africa, and in particular when it comes to hygiene and personal hand washing. So there are people who for reasons of disordered mental health will wash their hands compulsively and have always done so. Unfortunately, psychologists and psychiatrists are reporting what this health crisis amounts to is a complete vindication for these people of the years they have spent in this obsessive hand washing. So the difficulty now is to say to patients with these kind of anxieties and neuroses, I understand it looks like you were right all along, but we have to also measure your, to some degree, imagined concerns against what actually is going out there. But it did give me thinking, can you imagine if you've been the one person frantically washing your hands, being stigmatized your whole life, everyone calls you a freak, and now you're like, what did I tell you? <laughs> So, so true. Rebecca, you always give us wonderful food for thought. And I will tell you, you've got half of the listeners who are WhatsApping right now agreeing with you completely on your reading of Ngosazana Lamini Zuma following her responding papers in court. Others are saying, what are you on, Rebecca? So it wouldn't be Cape Talk if everybody was in agreement. But thank you very much for your insights as always. All right, Africa. Rebecca is back next week Thursday with John Matham.